Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 102. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? If you're listening to this, The day it comes out, it's Christmas. So Merry Christmas if you celebrate. (laughs) And Happy New Year and happy all the other holidays if you don't. I am so excited to have Sarah Dill on today as my guest on the podcast. She is an amazing coach and dermatologist, and she actually helps me coach in my business. So I really wanted you guys to get to know her because she's so great. She became a coach well before I did actually. And she has a lot of training. She's just amazing. And so the way she helps me in my business is that she does some live coaching calls and helps with more one-on-one contact for those people who want it. So I do live calls and then she basically like double down and does an evening call additionally every week for everyone in my group, which is so great, just provides you more opportunities to be able to be coached and get the help that you need in addition to all the other ways that you can get that. So I wanted you guys to get to know her. Her specific niche besides weight loss is in physician burnout and stress. And I mean, what doctor hasn't experienced some stress and probably some burnout symptoms as well. And so one thing that I wanted to accomplish in having her come on is in clarifying what burnout really is so that you can tell whether you really are burned out or whether you're just kind of really tired and need a little bit of extra sleep or a couple days off or something like that. Burnout's more than 
that, right? It, that kind of little extra bit of sleep or rest or time off generally doesn't recuperate you enough to be able to get out of burnout. So I think it's important for us as physicians to be able to self-diagnose that, right? Kind of know like, am I really having this problem or am I not? And the most important part about burnout that I that we stress in the interview, as you'll hear, but that I really want you to think about and and listen to is the idea that we're in so much more control over whether we're burned out or not than most of us think we are. We have so much more control over how we feel and interpret our jobs and our experiences of our lives than most people think. And this is the best news ever, right? Because, you know, your institution, your EMR, whatever the scenario is, may not be changing anytime soon, or the way they change it may not be something that actually helps you. And what's important is that you understand and take back your power to be able to create the experience that you want of your job in your life. So this is super, super important stuff. And I want to really encourage you to listen all the way through because I think it's going to seriously change some lives. So please enjoy my interview with Sarah Dill. Sarah Dill, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. We've talked for a while about doing this and I think it's high time that we talk about some burnout. <laughs> seems to be in all the literature and conferences and if Hot anything, topic. Burned, out, burned out on burnout. So Yes, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I always ask my guests to just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started. So why don't you give us just the quick rundown about you? Sure. So I am a dermatologist. I actually just went back into practice and I'm actually a residency program director again. I'm also a certified life coach. So I was in practice about eight years doing dermatology and then pediatric dermatology. And I kept looking for this perfect job. And I I had a lot of different positions actually. And I finally realized that I needed to take a break. And I didn't realize I was burned out. I thought I just didn't like being a doctor anymore. And so I took a sabbatical, that's what I called it. And I ended up getting into life coaching, which really helped me understand what was going on with me. And of course, as you know, life coaching is all about coaching yourself before you coach anyone else and getting clear on your own thinking. And then I started coaching physicians. So I coach physicians on burnout, work-life sort of balance or imbalance, and then recently sort of coached myself back into practice. So it's been great. And then of course, I work with you in your program, which I love. So I'm also a certified weight loss coach as well. The other passion. So yes, why not? Fun. <laughs> love it. You're amazing. <laughs> so great. Okay. So your niche, like what you really focus on specialize in is burnout. So let's just start because I feel like people use the word burnout a lot. Like, It's kind of like binging, right? We're like, I just like binge the show on Netflix, but then there's like actual binging, right? So it's like, there's like, you know, I had a hard day. I feel I'm feeling burnout. And then there's like actual burnout. So like, what is actual burnout? So actual burnout, I agree with you. I think a lot of people at the end of a long, busy work week, a lot of physicians will say, oh gosh, I'm so burned out, right? I can't wait for the weekend. And 
that really is not the technical definition of burnout. So that's maybe being tired or exhausted or anything. But burnout, you know, is not something you can recover from after a good night's sleep or a weekend off or anything. And so burnout is really a relatively new term. I think that there's a researcher out of Stanford, I believe, Christina Maslach, who really has done amazing work on burnout. And so there's a triad of features. The first one is really exhaustion. So both physical, but also emotional exhaustion, being sort of tapped out and drained. The second stage is really more of a cynicism stage. So I think we all know doctors who you know, complain about patients. And I'm sure we've all done this. So there's degrees of this, but complaining and blaming patients and other people feeling sort of victimized by maybe the practice of medicine itself or what's happened, maybe the EMR as well. I know you've done a podcast on that as well, but really this sort of cynicism, sarcasm, really loss of of meaning. And that leads into the third aspect of burnout, which is really the sort of what's the point where you don't see any value to what you're doing, your contribution. You know, maybe you just wonder why you even went into medicine. You know, you've lost the, the spark really. And so burnout is one, two, or three of those things. So the exhaustion, both emotional and physical, the cynicism, and then loss of value or purpose in your career. Yeah. So I feel like... Thank you for explaining that. I feel like we kind of look at it like this happens to us, <laughs> like from external factors. But why do we really experience this? Well, you know, of course, we know as life coaches, right, is that it's, it's not a leading question at all. <laughs> is that, yeah, anytime we're feeling like it's happening to us, of course, we're, we're giving away all of our power. And I think we've all done that. And through no fault of our own. I mean, I just didn't understand how to change my view of my own sense of responsibility and really own all my decisions. And so I think in this case, right, looking at where did we choose to go into medicine? Where did we choose to use an EMR? Where are we choosing not to honor our boundaries? Where are we choosing to overwork a lot of time out of feelings of guilt or not wanting to let our colleagues down or our patients down? You know, I think there's this sense of the culture of medicine that's slowly changing, but this idea that patients always come first, right? That was always drilled into us. And of course, patients come first sometimes when you're in a room with them or they're on an operating table or anything like that, but they can't come first always, right? You also have to have your own personal life. And I find it interesting that the Hippocratic Oath or the Code of Geneva, I think it's called, actually went through some recent updates. And there's a new part in there that you pledge to maintain your own well-being for the well-being of your patients as well, that it's actually a duty of a physician to make sure you are at your best because otherwise you can't take good care of patients. Right. Yeah. And I, it's like, we all kind of know that and we tell other people that, you know, it's like, what is it? You can't like, you know, I don't know, drink from an empty well, or I don't know, whatever the, the, the little. Right. From an empty cup. <laughs> yeah. It's just or like, well. whatever it is. Right. But, but having that formalized, I think is, I think it's, you know, the community realizing this is a problem and just even saying this gives some doctors some permission. Like this is okay to do this. Right. And, and we have to give ourselves permission, which is really hard. You know, I think we all, I've certainly worked when I probably shouldn't have worked, right? If I were oh, gosh. my own patient, yeah. <laughs> I would have said stay home. Absolutely. But, you know, we have this idea. It's just, we're just going to get through it. We don't want to inconvenience patients or have them reschedule, you know, for a lot of us, 
getting back in to see us is is challenging. It takes weeks or months to get an appointment. And so there's this internal pressure and then the external pressure. And so I think, you know, again, you know, you and I know start internally, right? Start with your own internal sense of pressure. And then the external pressure doesn't really matter. And you can be part of the changing of medicine so that, you know, my goal really is to have doctors be an example of health, you know, and wellness, not the exceptions, right? Yeah. That you would do as your physician does not not just as they say. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think there's so much shame that comes from that when you're a physician giving advice on what to do and knowing full well that you're not doing that. You know, you should be doing that too, and you're not. Right. I remember an attending, she would be counseling um, people on healthy eating, and then her lunch of choice was a Snickers bar and some Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> hilarious okay so you talk about the three energetic bank accounts can you explain that a little bit more and kind of talk about that versus kind of the analogy of us as a battery you know yeah and this was something I really also got from another physician who speaks and writes a lot on burnout Dyke Drummond he had this sort of analogy that I really appreciated so there's a sense right we all talk about our batteries are worn out and we have nothing left to sort of go on. But of course, with a battery, when when it's depleted, you actually stop, right? The Whatever is running on that battery stops working. And for physicians, of course, we don't stop working, right? Your energy is depleted. And really, it's more like a bank account or something where you're operating in the red. You're operating from a negative space, but you don't stop when you're, you know, at zero, you keep yeah, going. You're in overdraft. You're in overdraft, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta get out, out of the red. And that's where a lot of sort of techniques for burnout really sort of look at how can you refill those, those bank accounts, right, of your emotional energy, maybe your sort of spiritual or purpose, you know, energy, finding meaning again, looking for things that are significant for you. And also, you know, again, looking at why we went into medicine in the first place, why we care right. about getting yeah. that again. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the, the first element was the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And there's the difference between that and just being tired. Because, you know, I think of like, you know, so many women especially are, you know, just running themselves ragged at home at work, they've got little kids, maybe they're up at night still with a baby and they're working and then taking call and whatever. And so they're tired all the time. Where is that line between tired and the exhaustion that's described in burnout? I mean, again, the exhaustion that's described in burnout is does have a physical component, but really the main component is this sort of emotional exhaustion. So you can be physically tired and not have it bother you sometimes, right? I think we've all been really tired and then something happens either at work or at home that really engages us and you sort of forget about your tiredness. And that's sort of that mental component of it as well. The body's physically tired. And yes, the answer if you're really physically tired is to try to rest or sleep as much as you can. And the more I learn about sleep, of course, the more I realize how much we really do need to work it into our lives as much as possible. But really that exhaustion is sort of the emotional exhaustion too of giving and giving and giving and really overgiving, maybe being overly responsible for your patients, right? Taking on the burden of whether they improve or not. And your job as a physician, of course, is to provide care, but you can't make someone get better or make someone. I remember when I used to want to make my patients take my medicine that I was prescribing. (laughs) They wouldn't sometimes. 
It's like, do I need to come home with you to actually make <laughs> right. sure that you take it? And Some so of I, our patients would like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, can you text in? Give me advice every day. <laughs> life, right? I mean, moms often are so wrapped up in their children's everything, you know, how they respond, what they're thinking, what their emotions are. And I think, of course, some of that is natural and normal, but there's a point where it's, it's not serving you or your child, right? And so I think, again, is that emotional exhaustion where you're, you're giving until you don't really have anything left to give. Yeah, I definitely fell into that trap. I was the definition of over delivering, but to like really to an extreme, you know, like to a really true overworking, you know, to a, like, I want them, it's really like a people pleasing thing. I want them to be really happy, but then I'm going to be right. resentful about how much effort I have to put into you being right. happy. <laughs> exactly. I want everything so exhausting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think learning to work with that and again, signs that you're, you're, you know, past just tired into this exhaustion are, you know, waking up after a good night's sleep and not feeling refreshed, dreading going to work, feeling tired at the very beginning of the day, you know, really dragging. And some of them can, you know, some of these signs and symptoms can overlap even with depression. And so I think it's always important to speak to a professional about that, but really, keeping tabs on that and noticing if every day you go to work, for me, every day I went to work was a bad day. I was just sort of tired. And then a weekend would come and I would actually feel so much more energized. That was also part of that burnout. It was so much of my mental energy dreading going and that it sort of exhausted me emotionally in advance almost, right? I was yeah. People call, we call that the Sunday scaries, right? You know, it's like Sunday night, you check in to see, oh, what's my rounding schedule? And already your brain's going yes. nuts. So, right. you know, right. <laughs> just predicting the horror that awaits for you Monday morning. And it's like, exactly. Or is it even patient? happening yet? <laughs> yeah, you're already running the list of patients or you know someone particularly challenging is coming in. And yeah, it's like you lose half of Sunday to Monday morning. Right, exactly, exactly. Living in that future, which means that you can't even enjoy the time off that you have that's right. not restful and rejuvenating to you because you're already expending energy in advance for tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And probably not sleeping well and things like that. <laughs> no, so, I know. <laughs> right. So we're, we're, we're such, humans are amazing, right? Love us. I know. <laughs> okay, so the next thing is cynicism. And so for sure we can all think of times when we were that way. And we can also think of maybe other physicians, maybe when we were in residency or as a medical student or just even colleagues that we have now that are, wow, very cynical or just really kind of assume the worst in people or things like that. So really, you know, it's complaining. It's a lot of complaining and blaming. And why doesn't complaining make us feel better, right? Because we keep trying it. We keep thinking like, if I just complain about them, then I'll feel better. Why doesn't that work? I actually think, well, complaining automatically means you're in a victim mode. So complaining or venting or blaming, right? You're feeling like you're the victim of another person or again, maybe your your colleagues or the hospital system or something. And I actually think complaining, the one good thing about complaining is that it will show you what you care about and also where you feel like you have no power, right? Because we don't complain about things that we can very easily fix. If I, you know, I wouldn't complain about having warm water if I could just go get an ice cube, so right. looking at what you complain about, but complaining doesn't help you because it, it sort of dissipates that energy that you have just enough. So you stay stuck. It doesn't help you take action. No one's ever complained their way to a solution, right? It just keeps you stuck in that cycle of 
seeing the problem and never just looking for, okay, well, how am I going to solve this for myself, right? What is the real problem here? Why is this a problem for me? Why do I, you know, not see any solutions? And so, you know, you know, from a life coaching standpoint is that identify the problem, get clear on it in your mind, and then focus on the solution, right? Challenge your brain to come up with 10 ways that you could possibly solve the problem for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like this ongoing disempowerment when you continue to to complain about it and you're just not making any movement toward any solution. I think a great way of, of looking at this, sometimes I challenge myself with this, is that I'm not allowed to talk to anybody about the thing unless it's someone that can actually fix it. Right. If it's like someone that's like, you know, like, you know, hey, you came and, you know, fixed my plumbing and it's leaking again, then I should talk to the plumber, not five of my friends complaining about the plumber. Right. Right? Like talk to the plumber. (laughs) Sometimes it can be a way to bond, right? People do this all the time at cocktail parties or at work, right? I think if you went in and you were as a physician, you said, oh God, I love Epic. I love my EMR. It's so amazing. Isn't EMR amazing? I love, yeah, everyone would be like, such a life change. (laughs) Thing, right? I, you might be ostracized, right? From your <laughs> so, but just notice, you could just listen to how many people complain about things and who's actually taking action. And I learned this once I, I consulted, or actually still do consult too for a pharmaceutical company. And sort of a corporate idea that I learned in the training was that you never just come to your boss with a problem. You always want to come with a solution or you know, preferably several solutions. It makes you much more welcome, you know, especially as we step into leadership roles. What are the solutions you can bring to the table, either for you personally or for your practice group, for your hospital? You know, let's step into taking ownership, not only of ourselves and our own career, but sort of our surroundings as well. Yeah. Instead of just complaining about it and like, as again, like as though it's just happening to us going like, I could actually be someone who's instrumental in helping to make some change here. Absolutely. You know, there's obviously there's an institutional component to burnout that we're not really addressing today. But what I love is really focusing on how much you can change just personally yourself. Because if you're just like, well, it's the institution's job to be changing everything and society's job, like you're probably going to be waiting a long time. So in the meantime, you can actually make yourself feel so much better just by taking ownership of so many elements of this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, once you have really done your own work on it and sort of done everything for yourself, one, you're going to be in such a better space to then take any positive action that you might want to get involved in your institution. And two, I think you're right. You know, the institutional solution may not be a solution that you like. So again, taking responsibility for your own choices and why you find yourself in this position. You know, are you saying yes when you don't want to say yes? You know, why are you doing that? Yeah, are, doesn't matter what the institution does. Exactly. If you're doing that, it's the problem. Are you just sort of focusing on the negative, which of course we all do, right? Our brain is wired that way. There's nothing wrong. But noticing, you know, if you're in a room, you're always going to notice the negative thing or someone who's injured or something like that, right? Our doctor's brain is already looking for problems. Our human brain is always looking for problems. So being very conscious of that, you know, I was talking to a colleague and she's like, well, I think every time I solve something, I'm going to be happy, but then something else comes along. I'm like, yes, that's cool. (laughs) Welcome to being a human being. (laughs) I mean, life is a series of problems. Right. We're great at solving problems. So yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
So then, you know, the the final element is kind of doubt, right? And that's that, what what's it all mean? What's the point in any of this? Right. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, what are some of the thoughts that people have on a regular basis when they're in that position? Again, sort of what's the point? Why am I doing this? Did I make a mistake? Just really losing the sense of their own value that they're creating. Maybe they feel like they aren't really helping anyone, right? And especially, you know, in some fields of medicine, maybe you you aren't trying to cure a patient, right? You're you're helping them in the journey through a chronic illness or something. And so I think really redefining what is personal success and professional success is important. Looking for where you are making a difference in patients' lives and in your personal life or with colleagues too. Again, looking for those areas because left to its own devices, our brain is going to point out where we missed something or someone who didn't like us, right? You know, 20 patients that we just saw who all thanked us for our good work and for the positive results they're experiencing aren't going to stand out in our brain as much as the one patient who is like, you know, I don't even know why I came to see you. I'm not any better, you don't know what you're doing. You don't spend any time with me. And meanwhile, you're like, it's been 45 minutes with them. What? (laughs) So again, just noticing that. And it's interesting that women, female physicians tend to get to that third stage much more than men. Men tend to sort of get stuck in the sarcasm and cynicism aspect of burnout. I think we, we probably all have experience with that with fellow physicians. And women very often go from sort of emotional and physical exhaustion pretty quickly through sarcasm into this like, I don't know what the point is, you know, aspect. Yeah. Interesting. And I, think- I definitely had thoughts like that too at times, especially I think once you, when you have a small, you know, young family at home or like maybe the family doesn't totally depend on your income. You're just like, why am I doing this? What, am, right. what is the point here? Right. You know? And that's so important. Like those are great questions to ask yourself, right? And really right. answer. And your answer is going to change as you go through your career. And that's totally normal. I think that we have this sense that once we're, you know, launched into the world from residency, you know, this is what we've trained to do and we're just going to keep doing it. But at around five years or 10 years, there's often this sort of midlife crisis as a physician, like, is this all I'm going to do, right? You, you mastered a lot of the bread and butter of whatever your practice. And I think that's the opportunity to either expand and evolve in a different way. Maybe you move into leadership, maybe you move into a subspecialty, or you find another way to continue to recreate that passion you felt for your career, or you just really focus on reconnecting with your patients, right? Because every patient is different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me as a dermatologist treating acne, you know, I used to just get bored with acne and I actually love treating acne. It's very satisfying. And if you focus on how each patient is different, right, I think you can find a lot of joy even in sort of a common condition, you know, all the time. I'm sure for you as a pediatrician too, the same is true, right? You can just get lulled into that sense of like, oh, all I do is see the same. Another check, another 15 month old. One time I had a day, I think I had six 15 month old checkups and I was like, okay, could people, can I get a teenager who can just talk to me and not scream when I walk in the room, please? But then at the same time, you know, you have a conversation with somebody or you give some advice and you really can connect to like, I literally just changed the trajectory of right. this kid's life. I remember this one time convincing a dad that spanking was not a great idea and he totally got it and was like, you're right, I'm never going to do that ever again. And I was like, hell yeah, yeah sister. <laughs> 
pat on the back today, you know. <laughs> if you've been checked out or not really paying attention or, you know, again, like really stuck in burnout, right? You wouldn't have had the ability to connect and to yes. really take that intervention. And that's where I think it's so important. And there's a saying from mindfulness or meditation that boredom is really just a failure of attention, right? It's when we aren't paying attention. So if you're bored, really focus on what's happening, right? Remember when we were medical students and how amazing it was and scary to even talk to a patient. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) I was like, can I just shout out for the rest of my life, please? (laughs) Exactly. Or early on in practice, just the sense of responsibility. Yes, it is. Like the buck stops with me. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. It's a privilege to be a physician and have people tell you. Oh, yeah. They don't tell anyone else. And so again, reconnecting with that intentionally, maybe Mm -hmm. every day focusing on something that went right, right? Or an intervention you made in a patient's life, like with that, with that father, that really made a difference. And that's going to help you, again, sort of recharge, right? That gives you that emotional juice back again, you know, and reignites yeah. that passion for being a doctor. Definitely. Definitely. I love that. So you used earlier, you you mentioned the term doctor brain. So, you know, well, I'll have you explain that a little bit more, but then also like humans just baseline have a negativity bias. So when those two things come together, what do we see? (laughs) I was like, this explains it all to me. Yeah. So the negativity bias, which I, I think everyone should learn this. I don't know why we don't know this about our own brains is this tendency that's pretty well understood now, I think in neuroscience that our brain is always looking for what's wrong, right? What might kill us, what's going wrong. And I think it has evolutionary benefit to it. If you think about survival, right? The person who was just happy all the time and didn't see the tiger isn't going to survive long enough to pass on their genes. But of course, it doesn't really serve us to be happy and satisfied and content in our lives these days. Then what I call doctor brain is the conditioning we go through as medical students and residents where we're consciously looking for problems, right? We're learning how to generate a differential diagnosis for every patient we see. Pediatricians, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician going into med school, and I learned that I'm not very good at suspecting that this apparently healthy child is really (laughs) desperately sick, you know? (laughs) It's always are. They're like, I don't know, there's just some tiny thing here that's jumping out at me and I'm going to run a panel of tests, right? We're always looking for what's wrong in the person ahead, you know, in front of us, what could kill them, what could cause harm. Plus we have this fear of making mistakes. Yeah, fear of not having a complete differential. So we're like racking our brains for like, what else could it be that would be bad and horrible? What else? You know, all of those crazy board review, you know, questions as well. Then of course, right, we're supposed to be perfect. We're not supposed to make mistakes. We have this, you know, knowledge that a mistake could could impact not just us, but another person, which I think is a very real concern. But of course, we're humans, right? And so mistakes do happen sometimes inadvertently through systems and sometimes through not knowing what we don't know. And so I think all of that as well. And then, you know, I don't know about you in medical school, but it wasn't a very friendly situation where you could often ask for help or just say you don't know, right? You were never supposed to say, I don't know. You were right. always supposed to know the answer. I remember going into like, you know, assist on some surgical case and being in the changing room, like with that, whatever that book was that we all had that like, I can't even remember the name of it now that for each case, like what are all the questions the attending might ask you? Cause like you need to know and you know. yeah, so much stress in that way. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so, you know, and then our solution that we learned, right, was always if if things got tough, we just were supposed to work harder. 
So study more, you know, get there earlier, stay longer, always say yes, always, you know. Be like what they consider a team player. Absolutely. Like to your own detriment, right? You know, like you don't want to like, oh, I need to take some time off because I'm so exhausted or because whatever, because then some other poor resident is like having to pick up the slack for you and maybe even an attending life. It's like, right. yeah, but if I, if I take half a day off, then my partner suffer or whatever, and it ends up being this really you know, difficult kind of situation in terms of what you think about you, what you think they think about you, what they say they think about you. you Right. Right. And it's interesting. So I trained before the 80 hour work restrictions kicked in, which I'm sure you did as well. And I, you know, as a dermatologist, once I was in dermatology training, we aren't in practice that much, but we have a lot of expectations of studying outside. But my intern year, you know, we did call and stayed in house and, you know, you didn't get to go home very early post call or anything like that. And you would never, I just can't imagine saying I'm tired. I need to go home. So now it's changed a little bit, but I think the culture of medicine hasn't entirely. And And I really, what I wonder now is like, since, you know, you are supposedly getting more sleep and things like that, if it's even more so like you need to, we expect you to know your stuff. We expect that you've read, like you don't have the excuse of you've been up all night working, you know, like you need to be on your game every single day. I wonder if it's kind of shifted to a certain extent in that way. Yeah. And it's not clear that people are getting more sleep, right? I think a lot of people are spending more time with their families or their friends or doing other social things too. Yeah. Right. Call. Sometimes even though, you know, sleep might be a good idea, sometimes you just want to see people or do some right. more human stuff. Right? Volume of, yeah. Or like laundry, you know. Right, so right, right. Yes, exactly. Work hour restrictions have resulted in people being better rested either. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, that just ties even into just people are terrible about going to bed, especially with all the devices that we have, you know, and I even remember that I would come home post call, take a nap on the couch, wake up, you know, see my husband make dinner, and then usually watch some more TV because I just wanted to be awake and resting more than I wanted to be asleep and resting. Because if I went to sleep, then I had to get up and start all over again the next morning. Right. <laughs> Very soon it felt like. So yeah, I, I'm sure I could have done better with that. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So ultimately, you know, the point that I want to make or discussion that we've had here is just how much control we really have over our experience of being burned out, not being burned out, like learning tools on how to manage our thinking and our mind that are not just like a Pollyanna, like I love this, you know, train wreck of a job that I have, you know, like it's not like that kind of thing. It's like really understanding how much we individually have control over in terms of creating our experience of our daily life and how that that doctor brain, like we can leave that at work and come home and let that part rest. We don't have to be constantly, because I think we see that too, right? Where we see that when we're coaching, where it's like, you know, okay, you're doing, you're like killing it at work and then you come home and you're, all you're doing is pointing out, you know, everyone's shortcomings at home and your, you know, spouse and your children love that, you know, your friends and your mom and like everybody else, because you know better than everybody how they should live their lives. You know, know, people get made fun of, right? My dad even, he's like, hello, Dr. Dill, you know, <laughs> no one wants to hear your opinion. We all know doctors are know-it-alls, right? Right. So, yeah, so consciously turning that off. And I actually really have, I love experimenting with maybe I'm not right, right? Like that's a shocking idea. Like could right. person be right? Like, can we both be right? Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. Who knows? And it's none of my business most of the time how right. someone else wants to live their life or right. anything. It's very relaxing to give up that sense of 
again, it's sort of that over responsibility, right? We're constantly feeling like we have to be the ones to make sure everything is, is working. So, yeah. And then the resentment on top of it, like if they didn't have me, then where would they be? You know, (laughs) it's like also living their lives just fine, probably. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think we have an incredible amount of power over changing our own experience of the world and our work and in preventing or recovering from burnout. So it doesn't mean that you automatically fall in love with the job you have, but really coming to peace with it. And I think it's amazing to me how much better jobs get when you start doing this work, right? A job that you thought was just like sucking your life out of you, right? A total big statement there, Um, right? But can suddenly be transformed when you start to really change your viewpoint and change your thoughts about it, create a lot of different feelings. And from that point, you're going to take very different actions. So you're going to start showing up differently. And then everything around you will often shift as well. So suddenly, I know you've had the experience with coaching people, right? Suddenly, it's like they're in a completely different relationship or job or everything. everything. It's like they, they could not wait to escape this job. Like they didn't have one good thing to say about it. Right. And then by doing this work, all of a sudden they're like, I have an opportunity to go to a different place right. that I always thought I wanted to go to. And I'm actually going to stay where I am. Right. And they're shocked too. They're like, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but yeah. I, think I actually kind of like it now. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you just get clear on it because otherwise you bring you along right? And I found yeah. this, they kept switching jobs. I'm like, huh, I'm having some of the same issues again in this right. job. Like, what's the common denominator here? <laughs> exactly. I'm worried I'm not doing a great job. I'm feeling insecure, right? I'm not sure I made the right decision. All of this sort of patterns of self-doubt and judgment and everything kept popping up until I did that work, right? And so really, again, always really doing your own work first. And then if you want to leave or change something up, you just do it because it feels, you know, authentic or exciting or interesting. Something different that you want to do and you just do it because you want to do it, not because you need to escape something that you think is happening to you or some sort of oppression that's happening or anything like that. I mean, I used to hate that, that like the phrase, you know, happiness is an inside job. I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) clearly not an inside job. It completely results from a great job and great family and everything else. But you know, it really is true. I mean, it it is an inside job. And once you know the secret to being happy with anything, right? Like creating your own happiness, there's so much power there and learning how to be okay with, with other emotions too. Right, yeah. they're going to kill you, right? I well, and and right, like not being like, oh, then every day if I'm managing my mind, every day at work is going to be amazing. No, like sometimes your favorite patient's going to die, yeah. and you want to feel sad, you know, or whatever happens, and you want to feel upset about that. You want to feel sad about it. Like that's okay. That's another thing that that we talk a lot about is just learning how to feel those emotions and right. not using food then to make yourself feel better or screaming at everybody or whatever your, is your buffer of choice to try right. to get away from that. Instead, just going like, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. I know I'm creating it with my thinking. I actually choose this right now, even though it feels terrible. And I'm going to sit with it because that's, that is how I want to authentically feel right now. And that, I think just some people is a little bit of a hard sell until they, until they practice it. And then they're like, yeah, you know, it turns out food never really made it better anyway. It's like, 
Right. Exactly. You know, so it's like, how about you just still feel the negative emotions, but just don't have 50 extra pounds on your body. Right. Exactly. (laughs) From overeating, trying to get away from it, you know? Yeah. And that's the other thing. I think most physicians, I myself, you know, I was terrible at feeling emotion. I never, even as a child, right. I was just very stoic and would just try to soldier on essentially. I think that really, you know, burnout can be very helpful too in really helping you take back responsibility for your own life and really reconnect to all those parts of you and then really decide how you want your life to look. So I think for a lot of us, right, we don't make change until we really are having a hard time just coping with things. And so burnout, I think, can be effective, right? I think you know, I don't know if you were sort of burned out when you decided to switch gears and become a life coach and do all this work too. But for a lot of physicians, I don't think you need to leave medicine, but it is an interesting time to then look at, you know, what do I want to do now, right? Maybe I've completed that chapter in my career, or maybe there's a whole different way I can show up as a physician as well, right? Yeah. I- it's just a totally different way that I can take the skills that I have and help people, you know, or maybe it's like the yes and, right? I'm going to keep doing this job because it is pretty dialed now and it doesn't require that much, you know, of, of my attention and I'm going to do something else, a side business or some other kind of project. Yeah. I, I, to some extent, I kind of knew, I think, toward the end there that I was, you know, looking for something like that I wanted something, but I... I didn't have the guidance really to help me to brainstorm well enough. Like I thought the only thing I could think of was getting involved in hospital administration, which sounded terrible to me (laughs) because I also did not imagine my mind. Right. So I was just like, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to do that. I don't think there is anything else. Like when I think back, like I just, I did not do like what, you know, you and I both teach, right. Which is to really learn how to be happy. And I think it's just because I just, I really didn't, it literally did not occur to me to hire a coach. Like, I just thought I'll just become a coach. Like, it's so right. funny now in hindsight, I'm like, that was interesting. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> you know, like could have hired a coach and maybe would have left still anyway, maybe I wouldn't have, but for sure I would have had a better experience. And just, I can think of so many examples of times when I was just, you know, seething in my head and just why am I even here? But never answering that question. Like, so why am I here? You know, like just all these rhetorical questions left unanswered. And I didn't really use the word that like that term burnout to describe how I felt because I definitely felt like I could have continued doing it. But I definitely know that I had times where it ebbed and flowed where I probably was more along the lines of, you know, the, the description of these symptoms and times when I wasn't. And, and, you know, it's so interesting, right? It's like, what's the difference? Only my thinking. Right. Right. <laughs> a lot of people who are burned out wouldn't label themselves as burned out. And then people who are like, oh, I'm so burned out usually aren't. I usually aren't. I know. I feel like when people are like, I'm so burned out all the time. I'm like, right. I wonder. I really wonder yeah. if you are. Maybe you are. I don't know. I mean, not to judge it, but just like it's curious, you know, just something to, to think right. about. So, so as you said, you're back in practice now. And so you and I both coach people on these subjects all the time. And so the best way to work with you is through my program. And this is so exciting because you now coach a live call in the evening every week. 
And so everybody can come and get all the coaching that they want within that program and, you know, on everything, right? It doesn't have to just be burnout or stress or things like that, but, but on weight loss or anything that's going on for them. And that's in addition to the live calls that I do as well. So it's like this bonus, which made me so happy when we agreed to do that. And so, and we, you've been helping me and my business for almost a year now. So we've been really just kind of like two peas in a pod, just, you know, changing all the, all the physicians in the world, helping them lose a ton of weight and improve their lives in the process. Exactly. And so I love, I mean, you know, coaching is such a privilege and so fun. And so I think it's a great option for your clients to have more than one call, to have an evening call, because we all know everyone's schedule is different. And yeah, and maybe just continue to work through stuff. I mean, we all know, we both know the same tools, but of course everyone has a slightly different take. And, and Yeah, exactly, exactly. Through it in two different ways too, or from two different people. Like, oh, yeah, now right. I get you know, the same. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience too. I know I certainly have where I've like had to learn the same concept sometimes multiple times or like, you know, I kind of heard time. It, like really get it. And then like someone else says something and I'm like, oh, now I really, really get it. And it's yeah. like so funny. Like, why didn't I get it the other times? It doesn't matter. Right. Like that's the time that, that it made it work. So. Right. And I just want to say too, like before I really got into coaching, I never understood why being part of a group and group coaching was so powerful right? Everyone sort of wants one-on-one coaching or something, but one-on-one coaching can be very effective, but group coaching, when you can listen or see someone else get coached on a very similar subject, right? Because we all have the same problems and the same issues and the same thinking. Mm -hmm. You can see it so clearly when it's someone else's issue and it's not yours. I find that it's, that it's often even more powerful to be a part of that group when you aren't the one getting coached. And then when you're getting coached, knowing that you're probably helping other people, because sometimes when you're in it and you know, and that's what you're saying, when you're in it, it's so hard to see that it's an optional thought you're experiencing. Right. Like, so if you can understand the concepts right. you know, on an intellectual level so much easier because it's like so obvious in someone else's life. Right. And then you can start going, well, wait a minute, where is this showing up for me? I feel like it just helps to kind of like, <laughs> like there's this hard exterior shell and it helps to dissolve it a little. So it's easier to crack is sort of right. like a way of thinking about it where, yeah, you can learn so much. I personally have learned so much on, I mean, for myself, I always say this, that I figured out that I had issues that I did not think I had from listening to other people being coached on that issue. Like I would have sworn up and down I didn't have that. Then I start seeing how it's showing up for them. I'm like, oh, Oh, Oh my gosh. Okay. And even when, you know, sometimes people think, well, you know, I don't have small children. She's being coached on her toddler or something. Well, you know what, you know, it's really similar to toddlers teenagers. And it was really similar to toddlers and teenagers, adults. So like anybody (laughs) in your life, you can apply the same concepts to. So it doesn't have to be your absolute specific same issue for you to still have so much insight and make really big progress without you being on the hot seat every single time, like being able to, you know, kind of passively learn. I think of it as like sort of like breathing in and breathing out. Sometimes you're, you know, the one out there getting the actual coaching and sometimes you take a step back and just learn a little more passively while someone else takes the step forward and it just is a cycle back and forth. That's right. It is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for pointing that out. All right. So we have another group starting here very, very soon. And so if you are interested in working with Sarah and me, (laughs) you're going to want to be looking for the upcoming webinar. So 
I'm going to be talking about enrolling everybody. So definitely go to my website. All of that information is going to be there. You can find it at katrinaubellmd.com and then just click on the resources page and you'll be able to find everything. All right, Sarah, thank you so much. How fun was this? Oh, so fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. I can't wait to see who is listening, who ends up becoming our client. That's going to be so great. (laughs) Can't wait to help them all. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to katrinaubellmd.com and click on free resources.